Welcome to Hope, and apparently this is the Hope Boat or something like that. Hey, I'm so glad that you guys are all here tonight. My name is Nick, and, uh, and it's going to be an interesting night. It's going to be really fun. I'm very excited about it. Um, so when I first heard that I got this preaching assignment, um, and I heard that the title was The Love Boat, I said, what's The Love Boat? <laughs> I know, because the thing is, after I Googled The Love Boat, I found out that it stopped airing in 1987, and I was born in 1989. So I, I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't have any idea what this was all about, because in this series that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks on relationships, called Relationship Status, every week has been around like a certain show. And the first week, it was around Modern Family. Uh, I know that show. That's a, that show's hilarious. I love that show. And then, uh, uh, then there was Friends, and that's one of, Michelle, my favorites. We just like, we can just binge on Friends on Netflix, because that show is so, so funny. Uh, and I, I got to be in the video for that and do like a little dance at the wa- water fountain down the street. It was really fun. Uh, but this week, it's called The Love Boat. And I was like, well, what's The Love Boat all about? Well, uh, if you've never seen the show, like me, uh, if you've never seen the show, the show essentially, apparently, it has this premise where uh, all, there's all these people that are looking for love, and they go on this cruise ship. And if you go on this cruise ship, it's like this magical cruise ship. And it's so easy. You just buy your ticket, and you board, and something happens along the way. But by the end, it's happily ever after for everybody, right? But that's not real life, is it? It's not real life for us when it comes to love and and when it comes to all sorts of things uh, beyond love. And tonight, we're going to talk about love and sex because these are really, really important things. And now, before I, like, get into it, I I just want to acknowledge that I know that there are um, uh, 77-year-olds down to seven-year-olds in this room. So I'm going to do my best to keep it rated G, okay? But we're going to have a real conversation about it. We're, we're going to have a real conversation about these things because it's really, really important. And we'll get into that uh, a little bit more uh, at the, uh, as we go along. I also just want to say, um, if there's anyone that's going to feel awkward here tonight, it's probably me because my mother and father-in-law are over here in the, the fourth row. Um, uh, although, uh, truth be told, I, ta- I was talking with my sister the other day. And my sister, she's uh, 20, almost 21, and she's dating somebody. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was talking to her and saying, hey, I'm going to have this talk, and it's going to be on sex. And she's like, I'll come. I'm like, okay. And then she said, I'll see if my boyfriend wants to come. I'm like, you bring your boyfriend. You bring him. And I'm going to find him, and I'm just going to, like, do this the whole time. I'm just going <laughs> to look right at him the whole time. Just kidding. I don't even know if they're here right now, uh, but I'm going to send it to him online via email anyway. Um, but I'm going to do my best to keep it rated G. Uh, and, but we're going to have a real conversation. And, and I'll start um, by, asking, by asking this question uh, in the arena of, uh, of a different food, or of food, of a different topic, of food. Have you ever felt like you had to choose between being good and being satisfied? Have you ever felt like you had to choose between being good and being satisfied? For me, um, I work in, a, in an amazing office downstairs in the youth and family team, and uh, we celebrate each other's birthdays, and it's really, really fun. Every time it's someone's birthday, it's kind of like birthday week because we bring enough treats on Tuesday to last the whole week, okay? It's really, really fun. And so uh, we, like, we put a, like a table mat out and, and like confetti and stuff, and there'll, there'll be all sorts of things that are just bad for you, right? There's just, there's potato chips and Costco chocolate cake, and I know some of you are waiting on dinner, so you're really hungry, so I won't go into it too far, but it's just, it's a delicious day. And then there's the, the obligatory veggie tray, 
You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the thing that no one really wants to eat, but you kind of have to because we're adults. You know, we, we just need to, we need to do that, right? And, and for me, sometimes I'll be in my office and I'll be working, and then all of a sudden I get a little pang of hunger, and I'm just like, hmm, I could go for whatever is out there on the table because it's so-and-so's birthday. And so I go out there, and, and I have all these choices. And I get to choose in that moment, am I going to be good or am I going to be satisfied? Because for me, I love potato chips. Okay, potato chips, they're so good. They're so like, they're just crunchy and they're salty. And, uh, and these ones, they, they even have like a, a nice little flavor to them. They're just spicy. And, oh, man, that is just so good. It's just so wonderful. But next to the potato chips, there's something that's not near as exciting. Um, celery. So... Sometimes there'll be like some celery, and celery, you know, is crunchy, and it's green, and it's not even really that good for you, it just kind of, it just kind of is, there's like no nutritional value. It's very boring. It's very, very boring. Okay, why am I playing with food? I'm playing with food because the truth is there's many of us that we feel like we have, sorry, I'm just chewing celery, and I just can't stop chewing it. Mm, it's so boring. <laughs> Why am I talking about food? The truth is that for many of us in our romantic relationships, we feel like that we have to choose between something that is healthy, something that maybe is good for us, or we're, we're behaving, we're being good, and we have to, maybe instead, we could have cho- chosen something like the potato chips, something that's a little more tempting, something that's a little more satisfying. But the truth is that we know, we know, all of us, we're pretty smart, right? We know that if you have a diet that consists only of potato chips, and you know I'm not talking about potato chips, you follow me, right? Yeah, we're talking about sex, okay. Yeah, so, you know, if you have a diet that just consists of potato chips, it's not going to be very healthy for you. Like, we, we know this. And, and also, if you have a diet that just consists of celery, you'll be thin, but you'll be sad, Right? We all know this. You'll be, you'll be healthy, but you'll just be sad and boring, and you'll never be able to go out to dinner with your friends, and you'll just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just like, a, you're, it's just like a rabbit. It's gross. I don't know why anyone would ever want to do that, but it feels like, for a lot of us sometimes, it feels like that we have to choose. And so here's what we do. Here's what we do when it comes to love and when it comes to sex. What we do is we try to have some sort of balance. And I understand why. It's, it's, it's good to have balance like, you, you know, in, in lots of things in life. And so we try to figure out what's the right balance between, uh, you know, being good and making sure that I get my needs met. What's the right balance between being good and being satisfied so that I can be healthy but also have a little fun? Like, how do I get this balance right? And the truth is we're not doing a very good job as a culture at striking that balance. Because some of you, you're, you're here tonight, and you, you lean, you're, maybe you lean a little more celery, or you lean a little more potato chips, okay? Whichever way that you lean. But our culture likes to chastise those that lean in any direction, right? And there's all sorts of words that get, get thrown at people that lean in one direction or the other. Goody two-shoes, or prude, or, or whatever it might be. And all sorts of other ones that I don't even want to say about anyone that might lean the other way. And our culture, it's, it's so interesting because our culture will, will bait us with temptation. And when we take the bait, it will accuse us and judge us. And if we don't take the bait, it will chastise us and say, what's wrong with you? 
Have you ever noticed this? I mean, we all agree, you know, like teenage pregnancies are, are sad, right? They're, they're sad. I mean, they're beautiful because there's this child and God will help that person. But it's like, oh man, what, what, was there some potential wasted? Was there an opportunity? Like what if it was a little bit later? And, 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 and it, sometimes that can break our heart, right? And we want the best for this person. And, and for, for a lot of us, uh, we think, oh, what a sad situation. And you know what we try to do is we try to blame and we try to judge. We say, oh, well, it must have be, been the parent or if she wasn't so promiscuous or if she wasn't blah, 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 blah. Well, have you seen, have you seen the way that our culture markets to teenage girls? Have you been to the mall? Right? Have you ever been to the mall? Sometimes you walk through the mall and it's just like, I can't walk through the mall with my mom because this is just too awkward. Like, it's just a very strange thing. And then when something like that happens and they end up in that situation, we want to point and we want to blame and we want to judge. And especially Christians, especially Christians, and I'm not trying to just pick on teen moms. This is just one example. Because when you look at, like, the divorce rates, whatever stats you look at, they're too high. We're somewhere around 50%. Some people say it's going down, but also the percentages of marriages actually starting is going down too. And it might be the divorce rates in our country that, that maybe you relate with a little bit more. And, and it's sad, right? We, we all think that those things are sad. And, and sometimes, like, there, there's bad situations where, uh, whether it was adultery or some situation where there was abuse or something like that, where there's biblical grounds for and where that would be a healthy thing. But it's still heartbreaking, isn't it? And we're, our culture is trying to figure out, well, okay, how do we, how do we have enough celery and enough chips? How do, what's, what's the right balance? And, and the truth is that we're still not getting it right. And, and if you're thinking, you know, that's, that's those people. Teen pregnancies, you know, divorce, it's over there. How about pornography? That's an awkward word isn't it? The stats are pretty crazy. So I'm the youth pastor here, uh, and I work with teenagers. And parents, I just want to let you, if you don't know this, I just don't want, I don't want you to be ignorant of it. I want you to know the truth. The truth is that the stats say that 90% of teenage boys use pornography at least once a month. And a lot of people say, well, that's just teenage boys. 60% of teenage girls use pornography once a month. Did you know, did you know that South Dakota, and I think it was Kentucky, I can't remember the, the other state, but there's two states that recently declared a health crisis because of pornography in their state. I mean, isn't that crazy? The government is like saying, there is a problem here. And, and we're trying to figure out this balance between how much celery, whoops, I just spilled on my Bible. How much celery do we have and how much chips do we have? Like we're trying to figure this out, but for some reason, there's still like this, this epidemic. And the reason, the reason why it's a problem it's not just a problem because, well, pornography is bad. No, it's a problem because there's people that are being objectified. There's an industry that is being fueled. There's an industry called sex trafficking. Maybe you've heard that term before. And sex trafficking isn't something that just happens overseas. It's not something that happens in bigger cities. It happens in Des Moines, in Des Moines. 80 and 35 cross is, is actually a, a, the perfect spot for the people in that industry. And sex trafficking is happening in our city, right? 
In our culture, we, we, try, to, we try to like point, point and say, oh, it's those people over there, or it's those people over there, or it's the choices that they made. But the truth is that we're all on this search, aren't we? We're on this search to figure out what's the right combination. How do I be satisfied? How will I be satisfied? How will I get what I need without being too bad? And so what, what, what we're going to do is we're going to take an approach tonight where we're not going to go uh, into this with judgment. Uh, we're not going to go into this uh, because Christians do this all the time. They say, oh, it's those people. It's just the culture. It's just uh, the, the people that are making all these terrible choices. They're just immoral. They're just bad people. Well, the truth is that Christians, if you look at the stats, the Christians are making just as many of these choices as non-Christians. This isn't a... Christian, non-Christian thing. This isn't a uh, uh, upper class, middle class, lower class thing. This is a people thing. This is a human being thing. And this is something that affects all of us. Whether you're 77 or whether you're seven. So where does Jesus lead us in this? Where does Jesus lead us in this? Surprise. Guess what the Bible says? The Bible says that the deepest levels of intimacy... We're made for the deepest level of commitment. Most of us probably knew that. Most, most of us probably understood that, that or heard from a preacher or heard from a Christian, hey, you know, like sex and all of that stuff. That's for marriage. That, that's for marriage between one man, between one woman for life. And, and that's what that is supposed to be. Uh, and and, and I'm, I know, I'm not ignorant. Some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, oh, man, why did I come to church? I knew a preacher would say that. Of course a preacher would say that. Uh, okay, I, I get it. I get it. I, I totally understand. Um, we're going to talk about why. We're going to talk about why. why. Why would God set it up like this? And I, I want to show you this, this scripture to kind of uh, understand that a little bit more. So this is what, what God says. It's in the book of Hebrews. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all. In honor among all. So when, when God is talking uh, about marriage and honoring marriage, he's, he, he's essentially saying uh, in this scripture, he's saying that marriage is something that is valuable. It's something that is precious. It's not something that lots of people get married, but it's not something that's commonplace. It's not something, something that, that you just kind of throw around the room. It's not something that's, that's just easy and whatever, and uh, uh, we should just kind of, kind of just say that's just a part of life, and it's pretty just a simple, basic thing. No, marriage is valuable. Marriage is important not just to the two people in that marriage and not just to that family unit. But that family unit affects a larger family unit, which affects the community around it. Like our marriages and our relationships, and whether you're married or whether you're not married, the relationships that you have affect people around you. Did you know that your life is only as good as your relationships? And so God says, hey, this particular relationship, marriage, marriage, let's hold it in honor. Let's hold it in honor. And it's not just to be held in honor between a husband and a wife. Of course, they're supposed to hold their marriage in honor because they're married, right? They should hold that in honor, but it's supposed to be held in honor among all. An entire community to honor this unique and special relationship that exists between these two people. 
And actually, so what I want to do, I just want to have a little bit of fun for just a second, okay? We're, we're actually going to literally practice the scripture, and we're going to honor marriage for just a second. Uh, what I would like to have happen is, if you're able, if you have been married for 20 years or more, would you please stand? Praise God for these relationships. This is awesome. This is so cool. Hey, and my parents are standing up. That's awesome. And my in-laws. That's fun. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, remain standing if you've been married for 30 years or more. 30 years or more. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's praise God. Yeah, we'll, we're just going to keep clapping. 40 years or more. 40 years or more. Any, anybody 50 years or more? Hey, 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 that is awesome. That is so cool. That is so, so cool. As a community, we just want to say to you, we just want to say to you, we look up to you. We look up to you. Thank you for being committed to each other. Thank you for loving each other through thick and thin, through the, the good years and the bad years. And we just want to honor you and just say what God is doing in your life is so cool. It is so, so cool. And it's a gift not just to your family, not just to this church, but to this whole city. Thank you for what you do. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And that's not just if you've been 20 years, but even if it's, you've been married for two weeks, we honor you. And look at what he says next. And let the marriage bed, and I highlighted that word on purpose, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Okay, so um, if, if, uh, if you look at the original Greek, the original language that this book was written in uh, almost 2,000 years ago, this word marriage bed is not exactly what it says. Marriage bed is kind of a nice PG way of saying what this word is. I mean, it's literally talking about sex. It's and, and it actually is referring to uh, kind of a specific kind of, of sex. It, it's, it's not like a polite word. He's, he's talking about the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And I don't know about you, but I know that there's a lot of people in this room, a whole lot of people, when you hear something like that, you just go, oh, well, that's not my story. Well, that's, that's, not, that's not how we did it. Um, that's not how we're doing that right now, you know. And it's very, very common that this is, actually, it's, this is very uncommon anymore. And maybe it's always been that way. But it's so interesting that God would ask us to do this? Why would he ask us to keep the marriage bed undefiled? Is there a reason for this? Is, is, there, is there something that, to help us understand? And this is what the scripture says next. It says, for God will judge sexual, the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And I just want to stop for a second because you're probably thinking God will judge. That means he just dislikes people that sleep together before they're married or dislikes people uh, that, that uh, do sex differently than how God talks about it in the Bible. Actually, what this scripture really means and what that, that word judge means and when you look at judgment in the scripture, it often means the built-in consequences. We all know that there are built-in consequences for having a diet of potato chips, right? We all know that. We all know that there's built-in consequences that your health will not be as good as it could or as it should be because there's built-in consequences. You could say God will judge those that only eat potato chips. That's true. They're built in to the fabric of existence and how this world works. And it's interesting because this scripture, when it, when it refers to the sexually immoral, 
That's actually, if you look at the Greek word again, that's actually the word for pornography. Porneia is the word. God will judge pornography and adultery. There's built-in consequences. And the truth is, uh, a lot of you, you already know. This isn't news. You already know because your parents had an affair. And you know that there's built-in consequences that don't just affect you, they affect your kids. And how your whole family is situated. You know because you found what was on your husband's phone or on his computer. And now there's this thing between you guys. I mean, you know what this is like. Because this isn't just something for them, for people over there. This is something that we all experience in some way, and it touches us in, in all sorts of different ways, whether it's, it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it, whoever it might be. It's not that many degrees of separation from us, and the reality is it's inside of us too. We all have this brokenness. And, and what do we do with that? And you know what God says to do about uh, sexual immorality, about pornography, or about adultery? And by the way, like if you're, if you're currently having an affair, you should stop. I mean, it should, ju- it should just stop. I know that, that there's probably a lot of comfort in it, and it's really meaningful to you right now, but it's potato chips. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. If you're involved in that right now, Just let today be the last day. Let today be the end. Actually, let yesterday be the last day. Make the phone call. Send the text message and say, this is done. It's over. Think of the benefit that your future will experience if you were to do that. You know what we tend to do? Instead of what the scripture says, the scripture says to run from sexual sin, to flee from sexual sin. Do you know what we tend to do instead? We tend to flirt with sexual sin. We tend to look at sexual sin and say, you know, I probably shouldn't go there, but how's that look? How does she look? What? What's going on over there? Like that, that's kind of our our heart is instead of running from sexual sin, we flirt with sexual sin. But again, look at what God's word says. God bought you with a high price. That would be Jesus Christ, his son, his blood shed on the cross. So you must honor God. There's that word again, honor God with your body. Here's the deal. I want you to think about um, either maybe it's your spouse or your girlfriend uh, or your boyfriend or maybe your daughter or your niece. I want want you to think about about someone that you love. And I I want you to... um, I want you to just tell them for a second. I want you to tell them, flirt with sexual sin, right? Wouldn't that be so weird and uncomfortable? You would never want to do that. You would say, run from sexual sin. This is something you want for your daughter. This is something you want for your son. This is, hey, go ahead and turn to your spouse right now and let's actually say it. Run from sexual sin, right? Run from sexual sin. I don't want you getting even close to that stuff. I see you're smiling. You run from sexual sin, right? Yeah, tell your boyfriend, tell your girlfriend. That's easy. That's easy. We want people we love, we want people we care about to put lots of distance between them and sexual sin. 
right? Why? Because we care about their life. We care about their health. We, we don't want them to have a diet of just potato chips, right? We want them to honor God with their body. We want them to have a life that reflects the glory of God. We want them to have a life that isn't weighed down by sexual sin. So run from sexual sin. A few years ago, um, my wife and I went to uh, uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Has anyone ever been to Asheville, North Carolina, by the way? Uh, it's a cool place. I, I really liked it. Uh, and there was this place in Asheville called the Blue, uh, Blue Ridge Parkway. And Blue Ridge Parkway is this, this road that is pretty much on top of the mountains. It's really cool. So you're like driving, and we got a rental car, okay? And, and when you have a rental car, what does that mean? You can drive it as fast as you want, right? You can just zoom, zoom, zoom. So we're like zooming, okay? We're zooming on this, this mountain highway, and it's gorgeous. Like you can see all the trees, and you're like up in the mountains. It's like, it's literally a mountaintop driving experience, okay? It is awesome. And so we're driving, and I'm having a blast. It is probably the most, I'm not really like that into cars or anything like that, but it is probably the most fun that I had ever had driving, okay? So I'm driving, and Michelle, my wife, is in the passenger seat and we're like going around corners and we're coming up and, and then there's a tunnel and my wife is like, ah, oh, slow down, hold, ah, hold on. And she's like kind of freaking out because like we're coming up around the curve and it looks just like this. We're coming up around the curve and we could just go right over that guardrail and we could just tumble, 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 tumble and crash and burn and die. Scary, right? Fortunately, they had guardrails. Fortunately, there was, there was something on either side of the road. No matter what twists and turns that we had, there was something on either side of the road to keep us safe. Here's the deal. We all have guardrails in our life, a boundary that we wouldn't cross because we know that that's going to lead to destruction. And I want to ask you, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a teenager, whether you're, uh, uh, you've been married for 50 years, Where's your guardrail? Where do, you, where do you put it? Because it's wise to put guardrails where it's safe and not on the edge of disaster. God's word calls us to, to set guardrails so that we can stay on the path. So that we can stay. And, and the great thing about staying on the path is you can drive a lot faster on the path than, I mean, you can tumble down the, the, the hill really fast, but there's destruction at the end of it. There's pain at the end of it. There's hurt at the end of it. Why does God say wait for marriage? Why does God say keep it in marriage? Why does God like not like divorce? Well, why, why, is, why is God like that? Is he a joy kill? No. See, the thing is, it's not that you have to choose between being satisfied and being good, the choice that we really have to make is between being temporarily satisfied and being truly healthy, being truly healthy. That's the choice that we make when we set our boundaries. And the truth is that I know, I know a lot of us, a lot of us, we just look to sex as this thing that, that is going to fulfill us and make us happy. And, and it's going to be this mountaintop experience. Well, guess what? God wants you to have a mountaintop experience without falling down the mountain. Right? He, he wants you to do that. So what did he do? He set up guardrails. It's actually really good news for us because if you're looking to sex or if you're looking to marriage or if you're looking to a dating relationship to, to fill you up, 
You're going to be disappointed eventually. The thing is, God made sex, and he made it good. It was his idea. I mean, can you imagine God is up in heaven, and, and he's like, okay, angels, gather around, gather around, gather around. I got this idea. Poof! What do you think? You know, isn't that just like weird to think? It was God's idea. Was that embarrassing for some of you? I'm sorry. I just saw someone do this. Uh, so we're talking about this in church. This is what our God has done. He created this. But I'm telling you, if you look to sex or if you look to marriage or you look to your sexual uh, identity, uh, your, the people that you're dating, what, whatever it is, maybe you're looking to like this image that the culture displays about sexuality and, it, and you just want to attain that. You want to get there. You want to be that kind of person that can make it to that level and get that kind of satisfaction in life. The thing is, sex is a lousy God. It's not going to fill you up in the way that our culture likes to say that it will. God made sex good. It is a good thing. God is pro-sex. Go home and read the Song of Solomon, okay? That book is rated R uh, and maybe a little beyond that. That book is serious about sex. But if sex is the thing that's going to make you happy, the thing that, because that, that, here's the deal. I know, I know some of you are sitting here and you're like, look, what he's saying, it's in the Bible, it's probably true, it's probably a, a good thing, it probably would be healthy, but I'm not going to do that. I mean, not for me. I, I just, I just want to, push back a little bit, and I want, to, I want to ask you, what are you looking to to satisfy you? What are you looking to? Because the truth is, the truth is, if you're looking to do sex the world's way, if you're looking to do marriage the world's way, if you're looking to do any of these things the world's way, it's like driving on a highway, a mountain highway with, with guardrails misplaced. And God wants something for you, not something from you. God isn't interested in just like putting you in some sort of prison where you can't go outside of these boundaries. What he wants for you is freedom. What he wants for you is joy. What he wants for you is to have that mountaintop experience without falling down the mountain. And for every person in our life that we love, we want tons of space between them and something that would cause them to tumble down the mountain. And I want you to love yourself that much, because God does. I want you to love yourself that much, to value yourself that much, because God does. You're that important to him. The truth is that we all desire this, this, uh, this extreme level of being known even in our bodies, God made it that even in our bodies, we want to be known. We want to, be, we want to know someone and we want to be known, right? There's this, this thing that we want, this thing that we desire. It's, it's this longing in our heart that we just desire that we would be completely vulnerable and someone would say, I still love you. And I want to tell you the good news. The good news is that you can have that no matter what's going on in your life sexually. You can have that. This is what the word of God says. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is so committed to you 
Jesus Christ is so, he is more committed to you than your spouse who hopefully is very committed to you. Jesus Christ is so into you. He so loves you, loves you so much that he went to a cross to die on that cross, to commit his life to you. He went to this cross and he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And Jesus Christ is so committed to you that even when you, when you cross that guardrail, even when you cross that guardrail and you say, God, I'm so sorry, I won't ever do that again. I can't believe that. Uh, your grace is amazing. And then you cross the guardrail again. Things start tumbling down. Or maybe for some of you, you've been kind of going out of bounds a, a little bit, but no one's found out yet. And you're just praying, God, please, like if you could just, if you could just make sure that, that my browser history gets erased, or if you could just make sure that she never finds out, if you could just make sure that he never finds out, if you could just make sure my parents never find out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There's nothing that you can do. No matter what your past looks like. No matter what your past looks like. If your past is filled with scars, if your past is filled with pain, if your past is filled with, well, this isn't my story. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, ah, oh, you're gross. That's what the culture does. The culture says, I can't believe you would do that. You know what our God says? He says, I'm glad you're here. I love you. I will love you regardless of your behavior. I will be committed to you and I will pursue you regardless of your behavior. And what do you think would happen in our marriages if we did that too? What do you think would happen if, if instead of saying, hey, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back, or uh, instead of saying, oh, I'm just so frustrated, things are just stale in my marriage and I just don't even know uh, how we're gonna get connected again. Maybe we just weren't really in love in the first place. Maybe, what? I mean, just imagine it. What if instead we said, okay, since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Jesus is so utterly committed to me, what, I mean, he's pursuing me. What if I did that for my spouse? What if I did that for, for them, not because I was going to get something, but because I'm going to give something? And you know what would happen? You know what would happen? When we have our total and utter security in Christ and not our sexual fulfillment and however many potato chips we get to eat in our life, when we have our total fulfillment in Christ, you are a better spouse in every department. You are a better spouse in every single way. I I'm, for some of you, you're here and you're single and you're thinking about, man, I, I want a spouse that runs from sexual immorality. I want a spouse that, that someday that, that is just like gonna be so committed to me that even when I'm on my worst day, their commitment is steady. Their commitment to me and their love for me is steady, that they're serving me. Like we desire these things. And you know what? A lot of us, we got married because we thought we found that person, but then like real life happened. Real life happened and it's like there's kids and then the house is a mess and it's stressful at work and then all these things happen and then I have needs and they have needs and, and there's all these things that are flying about. And that's when we have a choice. We have the choice of are we going to follow in the footsteps of our master? Even if we bumped into our guardrails, even if we rolled over our guardrails. Because God is calling us as a community. 
even if it's to get back up from the ditch that we fell into, to get back on the highway and to drive. God loves you more than your mistakes. And God loves you more than your shame. There was a time where Jesus was um, uh, doing ministry here on, on the earth in his bodily form, and there was this woman, and this woman was caught in adultery. And the religious people were doing what grumpy religious people did, is they, they wanted to, to stone this woman for her sins. And it's kind of like what our culture does today, too. Some religious people do that, and our culture does that. And do and you know what Jesus did? He said, you who are without sin, you go ahead and judge. And they all drop their stones. And we're going to do that as a church. We're going to drop our stones. Because the truth is that we're like her. And we need the God who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus said to this woman, go, sin no more, but go.